begin with this. Jesus didn't ask us to invite him into our hearts. Okay? I'm just going to start with that. So I don't know if you grew up in the church. I don't know if you grew up and someone's like, did you invite Jesus into your heart? Jesus nowhere ever says that. Nowhere ever does Jesus say, invite me into your heart, disciples. Because that would have been weird. Right? In, 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 in no way did he ever ask the disciples to pray the sinner's prayer. He didn't do that. And so it's interesting to me as I'm reflecting on what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus. I get, a, I get a, since I'm a pastor, I get a whole bunch of pastor emails. And it's just, it sucks. And <laughs> there's a group of pastors that are like trying to get together and they're like, what is discipleship? I'm like, this <laughs> uh, is just like, obviously this sounds like a new question. What is discipleship? What does it look like? And, and, and there's this email thread that I'm on for some reason. And the answers I'm just, I'm actually kind of shocked by. And I'm shocked because they're pastors. And some of the answers are like, well, we take people through this book. And they fill in some blanks in this book, you know, strategic word blanks. And then when they're done, then they take somebody else through the book. Like that, that has nothing to do with discipleship. It's interesting what Jesus does when he calls people, he, he actually says, come and follow me. Come and walk with me. Come and do life with me. And so the interesting part about this passage we're about to look at, and this is, uh, for, if you're new, we're going through the book of Mark, and it's been really taking a while to get going, okay? So I apologize, we're going really slow at the beginning, and then it's going to speed up, okay? But we're in this passage, and we're going to take two weeks on it, because it's really, really important. Um, today is kind of like a background context, we even have an interview we're going to have an interview. It's going to be really fun. And then next week, we're going to talk about what does it mean to apprentice Jesus now? What does it look like to follow Jesus in our context? Whatever you do, wherever you live, what does it look like? Okay, so let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 20. It goes like this. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So you know what I want to do is I want to throw up a map of this is first century Palestine. This is Galilee. Um, and I don't have a laser pointer today. I know. My one shot. All right. So this, uh, just to give you a little idea of what's going on here, the Sea of Galilee is um, that Jesus Christ grows up in Nazareth. Everybody see Nazareth? I'm not going to go over there and point to you. You can, you can read. It's right below Galilee, the word Galilee there. So Jesus is from Nazareth. He's up in this corner over here, the Chorazin, Capernaum, Bethsaida. 
that's where Jesus is at. And he is um, walking beside the lake. Now, the Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long, 7 miles wide. It's freshwater. Um, some archaeologists, they've come up with, they've just, a lot of data they've learned about the Sea of Galilee at the time. It was just, people called it sweet water. Um, that it was just fresh water, a fish were plentiful. In fact, um, it, it, well, we'll get into that here in a little bit, what it looked like to be a fisherman. But um, uh, in Nazareth, so Jesus grows up in Nazareth, and he grows up as a construction worker. Okay? The Greek word is tekton. Um, I'm going to bum some of you out because he was not a carpenter. <laughs> he actually built... With rock. It's like a basalt lava rock. Now, you would have like a wood door potentially, but sorry. Jesus was like a hard working builder. I mean, I just picture Jesus as like wiry, strong, rough hands. And he grew up building. And three decades of his life were kind of something we really didn't know much about. Um, working alongside his father, Joseph, building um, in this community. And, um, and then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on scene. He gets baptized and he starts preaching. We talked about this the last few weeks. That the kingdom of God is near. The time has come. All right. And, and he talks about the good news. Now, and, and basically what this is, like, this is the moment in human history that it's all been building up to. It's like an orchestra, just building and building and building, and this is the moment. And the first thing Jesus does is he starts walking by this lake, and he starts calling these fishermen, these young men, um, to follow him. And you would think that Jesus would go for the best of the best, um, and for some reason, he, he picks fishermen um, you see this little town way down here at the bottom? It's called Scythopolis. And some of you have read the Gospels, the four Gospels. Has, did Jesus ever go to Scythopolis that we know of? Have you ever heard of it? Scythopolis is actually a huge city. It's actually got a whole bunch of um, like Roman culture in it. It's got a, a, a Roman legion in it. It's got different temples. It's got a, a university in it. Jesus doesn't go there. He goes to these fishermen. And it's interesting that he goes to this, really this really grouping of cities at the top. Chorazim, Capernaum, Bethsaida. Scholars call that the gospel triangle. Now, these are three little communities. They're not big. Bethsaida at the time was probably six, 700 people. Um, Chorazim was probably the biggest, 1,500 people. It had a synagogue in it. And then, and then uh, sorry, Capernaum is what, what we learned is it, that becomes Jesus' like home base. And so that's just kind of the area that we're talking about here. And this area is where uh, they practice this idea of discipleship. This is an area where, as a young boy, um, you would go off and learn about being a good Jewish young boy. And this was a place where people would come from all over 
the Israel region, but they would actually come all, from all over the world to disciple, to apprentice under a Jewish rabbi in this little area. And it goes like this in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Josephus is a historian, uh, and he, he actually talks about these fishermen um, quite a bit in some of his writing. He said there's probably 300 fishing villages around the Sea of Galilee, especially the, the uh, uh, western side. And, and there was 16 uh, ports um, hundreds and hundreds of fishing boat. Uh, the, the staple meat um, of that area was fish. Um, you would eat other meat, like lamb um, or, or cows or whatever. You would eat like maybe, maybe once a week, maybe. But the, the fish that came out of Galilee, that was like exported to Rome all over the place. It was actually a delicacy. In fact, this was a lucrative business, fishing. So you might have thought that these are poor little str struggling, starving little fishermen. No, no. They got a good game. They are making money. Uh, they, middle class probably. like They're doing well at this trade of fishing. And, and then Jesus walks by and he says, come follow me. And, and that word follow is actually Talmud. Uh, Talmud, and it, it actually, the other definitions of it are apprentice me, um, learn from me, be my student. And the Hebrew idea behind this is learn from me, study under me, so that one day you could be like me. And he says, and I will send you out to fish for people, and I've told you this before, that is not a cliche, that is not a cheesy, like Jesus being funny. Like, you're fishing for fish, but I'm not. Yeah, that's not Jesus being funny. That's actually a Hebrew idiom that means come and, 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 and be a fisher of men, which means to sway people's imaginations, pull them towards your way of thinking. Okay? So Jesus is inviting to something huge, and at once they dropped their nets and followed. They, like, dropped everything right there. And, and when they'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets and, and that what they're doing is they're cleaning their nets for the next day. And he says, follow me. And without delay, he called them. They left their nets. They left their father, which is a big deal, and the boat, and all the hired men, and they followed him. This is a huge deal. Business at the time, passed on, father to son. Even now, in most places in the world, business is passed on in the family. Right now, some of you guys who are young, you're figuring out your life, um, you'd your choices are endless, but many people's choices aren't endless. They do what their parents do. And so for hundreds of years, this was a humming business, um, and, and they leave their dad's business. I mean, it's just remarkable to think about how they did that. And, and so Jesus calls them, they drop everything, and they walk out on dad. And what would make four men, four fishermen, just drop everything and follow this traveling teacher? Well, we're going to take a quick two-minute detour, and then I'm going to invite someone up, and we're going to talk about their story. How this worked for kids, young boys, was you would go to a school when you were young, and you would go to something, and it was called Beit Sefer. 
And we're going to throw that up on the screen because I'm probably not saying it right, but it's called House of the Book. And this is for kids to go, and they would actually go to it, and you would learn teachings. It was kind of like Sunday school, but every day. And you would learn teachings in the Torah. In fact, kids would actually memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would memorize them. Um, And then you would go to this, and um, you would memorize the Torah. And by age 12, you would probably age out of it. And you would go back, and you would learn to become a fisherman. Or you would go and learn to um, do uh, work in, in other areas. And, um, or if you were a young girl, you would actually prepare to become married. And so for those of you who are in middle school in here, I don't know if there's anybody in middle school, but like, and you think it's hard, it's like, <laughs> try pregnancy and fishing, right? Well, don't try it, but <laughs> it's like you, at 12, you're fishing or you're pregnant, you know? Um, I know. Tell me about it, Tori. <laughs> Bad news. But if you were really good, if you, if, you just, if you developed an acumen for memorizing the Torah, if you kind of fell into favor with some of your teachers, you would go on to something else called Beit Talmud or Beit Midrash. And, and this is um, the house of learning. This is where you would actually memorize the rest of what the Jewish people called the Tanakh. And this is the rest of the Old Testament. I mean, just flip through your Old Testament. Think about memorizing that. And yes, it was a very oral culture, and they memorized things really easily and well. But here's the thing. That's a lot. And at the end of that time, if you were the best of the best, you would go on to something else called Talmudim. And this is where you would actually be interviewed or you would ask to be interviewed. You get asked to follow a rabbi up in that little area of the gospel triangle. And you would ask to follow them and, and, you would ask, and they, would, they would quiz you on the Tanakh. They would quiz you on the Torah. They would quiz you on their interpretation of certain passages in scripture. And if they think that you had what it took to be one of their apprentices, then they would say, come and follow me. And your goal is if you were following this rabbi all around the uh, gospel triangle, all around Galilee, if you were following this rabbi, you would actually try to learn everything that this rabbi knew about Scripture. So you were paying attention to everything they said, everything they, they spoke to people as they, as they interpreted things. You would pay, pay attention to everything. And, um, and then you would actually then get opportunities to do things, and you would do, you would do them like they would do them. You would say things like they would say them, and you would, you would care for people, and, and you would do all these different things just as they did them. And then the goal of that was that one day that you could be a rabbi, that you could be a rabbi, and, and you could have people following you and doing your teaching and learning under you. And that was the whole goal of discipleship. Now, here's the crazy part of the whole story. Peter and Andrew, they're not the best of the best. They're fisher dudes, right? They didn't make it. They probably didn't make it past the bait so far. And they decided it's time to go learn fishing. 
And, and same thing with, uh, with uh, James and John. And Jesus comes to them. He shows up in their world and says, you come follow me. I want you to come follow me. I want you to come be my apprentice. And so Jesus comes right up to him and does that. And here's the interesting part. We all have the moment where we hear God actually, through Jesus, inviting us to follow. And everybody's story in this room is different. Um, and some of you in this room don't have that as a story, and that's okay. I'm glad you're here. But I want to invite somebody up to tell their story. I'm going to interview her a little bit um, about how Jesus called her and what Jesus is doing in her life. So, Manuel, will you come up? Everybody, this is Manuel Dormus. Yes. And um, we got a little fam family picture of Manuela and Jamie and Sophia. We'll just throw that up real quick. So I just want to introduce them. You got that, Nick? All right. So, um, Jamie, did you know that picture was being taken? Because yeah, they, <laughs> oh they kind of caught you by surprise. A little bit surprised. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love that picture, actually. Um, Maniola. Am I okay here? Yeah, you're, you're okay oh, here. Perfect, perfect. All the lights on okay. you and everything. Thank um, you. You're famous. Maniola got a chance to share with me her story, and I just thought you guys have to hear it. Um, a little quick background. Maniola's from Albania, and I actually have a, this is a two-map Sunday. We have another map. <laughs> We have Albania, Yay. so um, so if you can, if you can, some of you know where Italy is. It's you know, <laughs> it's across the pond yes. from Italy. Um, and so, Manuel, tell us a little bit about your story. You grew up in Albania, yeah. and you grew up in Albania during, well, communism during a little difficult time. Yeah, yeah. yeah so true. First, I want to say thank you for giving me this opportunity. I feel yeah, very blessed to be able to share my story with you guys and share how God um, chose me to follow him. So, uh, yes, I'm from Albania, as you can tell from my beautiful accent. I'm from Albania. <laughs> I haven't changed that yet. <laughs> uh, I don't know how many of you guys know, but Albania is a small country. It's in uh, Eastern Europe, uh, as you saw on the map. Albania has a very unique um, history, and I want to share a little bit because that has to do with my story. So... Albania, first being a Christian country, our first leader was a Christian. Uh, his name was Kanderbeg. And then after that, um, uh, Turkish Ottoman Empire came to Albania, and they invaded for 500 years. So during that time, we are uh, converted to be a Muslim country. So everybody has to be a Muslim during that time. So now, these days, Albania is considered as a Muslim country. 75% of Albanians are with the Muslim. It's not like believing, believing, like strong Muslim, but it's more like culture, tradition-wise. And then only 1% are Christian like us. So there is a great need over there for, for, uh, for the gospel. Um, after uh, Turkish and Ottoman Empire left, communism came in Albania. And then we were for 50 years under communism, so Albania was the last country that got out of the communism for such a long time. And during that, that time, communism wiped every root of the believing, so we are not allowed to believe on anything. Even mention the name of God, they can kill you, or they can persecute you. So I grew up with that idea that there is no God. 
only our leader uh, the, at that time. He was our God. So whatever he said, we had to obey to him. I remember, though, um, my grandma, when I was like 13 years old, my grandma was telling us about, like, there is a God, but don't tell anybody at the school because they can kill you. So that's how I grew up. And then 1991 was when the communism fell, and then we had the freedom to believe and to be like, even though to watch American TV or to listen to other languages, to know other languages. So because at that time, we're not allowed like anything like from America or even from Germany or Italy. So we're not supposed to learn their language or to watch their TV or nothing. So I grew up with that idea. And then when the, uh, so 1993 was a group of missionaries from Germany who came to my country, who came to Albania with, uh, with the idea, uh, they wanted to help us build a school. Albania has a difficult economy, especially under the communism. The economy wasn't the best. So when um, these missionaries, they came uh, with a purpose to build a school, and they were looking for somebody to, to speak English so they can translate for them. And my sister, the oldest one, uh, she learned English in a hidden way. And then uh, they were excited to find so, some. So secretly. Secretly, she it. Yeah. yeah. So we're not supposed to tell at that time. So, but. Right. When communism fell, she, she wanted to practice her English. So these missionaries were, they came to, to my hometown. They were so excited to find somebody that can translate for them. So we invited them in our house. I have a, a big family. I have six sisters, seven girls in my family. And um, so all of us seven were... Seven girls. Yeah. So we had a little bigger house than other people on my hometown. So we're thrilled to invite our, uh, these missionaries to come and stay with us. Like some, they were sleeping on the floor and all that time, but we were so excited about like, oh, foreign people, what they have to tell us. So uh, after they finished work with the school, every night I remember, we're gathering, eating dinner, and they opened this precious book, and they were telling us that you can find hope in this book, and this book is the Bible and it's God's word. And we are so thrilled and so excited. We never heard about a God. We never knew that there is a God. And now we have this precious book in our hands. We're like, yes, we want to know more. Please tell us. So every night they were telling us about Jesus. And they showed the, the Jesus film. And that time when we saw that Jesus died on the cross, for me personally, was that moment. It's nobody can do that for me. To die that I have life, loves me so much to give himself. So that was the turning point. And then all my family were so excited to, to put our faith in God. And we said, yes, we want to know Jesus more and want to believe on yeah. him. So this is how I started. Yeah, yeah. So communism just falls and you're, this new opportunity then comes in for you. Yes. And, um, but then it, it got hard. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. Um, people didn't really like this. In, no. in fact, uh, there was a conversation with your dad and the local um, leader of the yes. mosque. Yes, so since Albania is a Muslim country, so after um, these missionaries left from our hometown, the leader of the mosque, the priest, he got very upset with my family. So he came to my dad and he told him that, you sinned against God. You are Muslim. You are not supposed to be a Christian. Burn all your Bibles and don't let your daughters to go to church. Otherwise, um, you know, God is going to curse your family. So your daughters are going to be like single forever. They're not going to have kids. So my parents really got worried about that. Real quick, how did that work out? 
All of us were married, happy, <laughs> we have kids, so we're very happy and blessed. So it, it, it got very hard, and I remember that my, my dad, one night, he decided to burn all our Bibles, and he, forbidden, he, he didn't let us go to church anymore. <clears throat> but who could stop us from that love that we found in Jesus? As hard as it was, like, from, like you want to respect your parents, you want to obey to them, but then we found this hope and this treasure and this love that is undescribable, that we couldn't stop following him. So I personally speaking for myself, or my sister did the same thing. In secretly way, we went to church. And every night we waited till my parents went to bed. And then we pulled our Bibles hiding under our pillows or under our bed. And we read the Bible under the table on the kitchen because we wanted to know more. That was, that was our hope. And then that's how we did for, for a long time. There were times where we were cut and we got punished. I remember some days they were not pretty. But um, we knew that this Jesus that we found, this Jesus, Jesus that is our Savior, he's going to make a way. He's going to change my parents' heart. He's going to do like a miracle. So because we wanted other people to know. And then we started our small church in my hometown and invited more friends to come. And I was excited to see how many other people can hear the same news. Yeah. So we're thrilled. Then you went to school, you went to college, and you got involved with Campus Crusade. I did. Um, so, yeah, when I was in college, uh, I went to... Um, to be a teacher. My mom was a teacher, so I wanted to follow her steps. And then I got involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. Campus Crusade, or crew, they call them crew today, um, they are a nonprofit organization, Christian organization. So they have their main vision is to reach out students for Christ, to reach out the world through the students. So I got involved with them. Um, first was like to learn a little bit English because most of them were Americans, and then uh, to learn more about Bible. So I got involved. I learned more, and then when I finished school, where I was in the last year of, um, of um, college, I sense, as you were speaking about, when God calls you, yeah. it's so strong. And then I sense God was calling me to follow him and be a missionary in my country, knowing how much, um, like, was a great need for people to hear about Jesus. Even though I was a great student and my parents were hoping and dreaming that I'll be a teacher, teacher in Albania is the best position a good job for, for a woman, like make a little bit more money, but in the same time, they see you, oh, you are a teacher, so it's a higher position there. Mm -hmm. So my parents had this dream that, oh, I can't wait for, for you to finish school, you will help a little bit the family. But I sensed so deeply in my heart that God was calling me to be a missionary. So it was very hard, I had to tell my parents that. I had to tell my dad that I can be as a teacher, but I need to um, go and be a missionary, a Christian missionary. And he got very upset, of course. My dad, in the Albanian culture and in Muslim culture, it is that the man is the man of the house. So if he says that, you have so to you obey and respect. Says, right? Yeah. And then, um, so I made the hardest decision ever. I had to say um, no to my parents, and I had to say yes to Jesus. So I left the home. My dad said, if you do that, you are not my daughter anymore. So he dishonored me as her, his daughter. Just cut you off. He cut me off. And he, I wasn't allowed to talk to any member of my family. I wasn't allowed to talk to my mom. 
So, um, but I strongly felt that this is my calling. And I knew that the God that I believe that is calling me, he's going to do something. He's going to change my parents' heart because I knew it. And then I left. I went to um, capital city of Albania, Tirana. So uh, the area is where Capus Crusade is. Mm -hmm. So I started doing ministry there as a missionary to help reaching out high school students. Mm -hmm. I loved it. And uh, uh, so while I was start doing the ministry, I asked my friends and my coworkers, everybody to pray for, for God's, for this situation with my parents, because I didn't want it to let my parents heartbroken. And then, um, because God says that in the Bible, when he says, respect your parents, okay. love your parents. So, and then um, after six months, so every time I tried to call my parents on the phone, they were hanging up. They didn't want it to me to talk to them. So after six months, my dad, I got this surprise call. My dad called me and said, I want to talk to your supervisor. I want to know more about what you're doing. Hmm. So he came. I was very nervous. He came to meet with my supervisors after they explained what I'm doing. He said, "Um, if this is what you like, then God bless you. He Hmm. gave me his blessing. And then um, he said, come home because we miss you. So that was a huge answer to our prayers. I know only God can do this. Hmm. And a confirmation that... I will follow Jesus with my life and be a missionary. Right. Well, then you go on a trip to Florida. Yeah. It was an interesting trip, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a very interesting Because then you met your husband. Which he left to see Where my did he daughter. Go? <laughs> He's like, I'm out of here. So 2011, yeah. 2011, um, God wrote a new chapter in my life. So I was a believer. I did ministry for 11 years. And then I came to Orlando in Florida um, for a... Um, a year when they give you, like in Campus Crusade, they give you this year when you can um, do a training and then you can listen what God wants you uh, to do for the next, for the future. So while I was doing that, uh, I got to meet my husband, Jamie, and uh, I never pictured myself that God is going to do what he's doing right now. He brought me, and then we got married, and then I moved here in Colorado, 2011, and then... Um, while I came here, I was so excited about my new adventure as a married and um, to be here. But then I was scared and wondering what God is going to do with my life. When he calls you, like as you're saying, you don't know what's going to be, you know. And then uh, coming to a different <coughs> countries, learning the language and starting a job, a different job. Because I couldn't do the Campus Crusade work at this time. The only thing... The only person I had was Jesus, and I have is Jesus. So that's such a great uh, comfort, and that's such a great hope that wherever we go, we know that he's with us, and we know that we have a family, the family in Christ. So I came, and then God blessed us with, uh, with Sophia. We have a three-year-old daughter, Sophia. She's a huge blessing for us. We love her. We've been praying for so much for so many years to have a, a baby, and God blessed us with her. But when I came here, so since I wasn't able to do campus crusade work or ministry work, I started working at the bank. And every day I had this prayer that God used me to be a light and to be able to share my story. Because my passion and my love is to share uh, my story, to share Jesus with others. So since I have this accent, people were curious about it. Like every time I had a customer, 
with me helping at the bank, they were like, oh, where are you from? Why you came here? So I had a lot of opportunities to share about Jesus. I had a lot of opportunities to share my story, even though I was not allowed to do it in the bank. I was trying sneaking and doing a little bit like uh, secretly. And Evelyn is one of the, my, my people that I got to know her at the bank. So I was uh, um, very encouraged to see how God continued to use me, even though I was in a different country and in a different language. Yeah. So now, um, Maniola works with Campus Crusade again, and this is the coolest part. <laughs> uh, tell, tell everybody who you work with. So um, let me tell you so how I end up working with Campus okay. Crusade again. So while I was praying, like uh, working in the bank and praying, like God give me opportunities so I can serve because I know who my passion is, then I had to stay. We made a decision that I can stay home with Sophia. And then while I was staying in Sofia, I was like, but what I'm doing now? I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing much for God, you know? So pray that God will open the doors and show to me where he wants me to serve. And then a friend of mine, um, she was a missionary in Albania. She lives here in Colorado. She's an American. Talking to her, she said, you know, we have this great, huge need for this ministry called Destino. And Destino Ministry with Campus Crusade, the purpose and the, the main goal for them is to reach out Latino students for Christ. Their passion is that they can reach the world through Latino students. So here I am, and I'm like, God, I'm so amazed by the way how you write the story of our life. I'm like Albanian, heard the gospel by Germans, and I'm here and trying to reach Latino students for Christ. So only God can do this. And I'm very excited to see what God is going to do. Um, with this uh, calling because I know there is such a great need and coming from Albania we are very unique like we have very similar culture with uh, Latinos like the way how we do see the family the way how we like do some meals and uh, build relationships was so very similar so I'm uh, at this point I'm like trusting the Lord the Lord is going to provide for me because Campus Crusade is a non-profit organization so in order to join sorry to join them you have to um, be um Find your ministry partners to be able to raise support in order to do the ministry. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I'm trusting the Lord and praying that he will um, right. bring those uh, people that they would love to join my ministry. And then um, I, I can't wait to see what God is going to do yeah. reaching out to Latino students. Yeah. I'm very excited. This is so cool because, I mean, what you're, what you're seeing is a very similar story. Um, it's unique to Mignola. But the idea is that God calls us. And then in our discipleship and our apprenticeship to Jesus, we actually start to do the things that Jesus called us to do like he did um, and carry on his work in the world. And that's what Manuel is doing. And so um, I just wanted to say on your program, um, there's an email address for Manuel. There's actually a website uh, for her as well. So if you're interested in hearing more about her story or partnering with her, um, financially or prayerfully in what she's doing, I would love for you to reach out. So, and if you don't have a program and you need that information, come see us. We'll, we'll make sure you get that. So, Manuel, thank you so thank much. You. you guys thank give you. her a hand. It was just so good. Um, I think it's so fascinating, the stories that we all have. They're all different. But at some point down the road, God uh, meets us, God uh, shows up, and, and we're captivated by who he is, what, what God has done through Jesus. And so, what does it mean to be uh, a disciple today? 
I mean, have you ever had somebody that has actually believed in you so much that it actually changed your life? Maybe you had a teacher, maybe you had a professor or a parent or a neighbor or a friend, somebody, or maybe a boss believe in you when you didn't really actually believe in yourself and, and, and they believed in you so much that it actually brought something out of you? I mean, I think that so many uh, times we read these passages and we're like, oh, fisherman doesn't really relate to me, uh, Jesus walking around, talking, you know, it, it just feels like some other world when ultimately what the invitation for us is an invitation to this crazy up to, upside down kingdom where God in Jesus chooses us, that God in Jesus comes and chooses us and says, I believe in you. And, and I want you to be one of my disciples. I want you to be one of my Talmudim. And um, it, it all starts with learning him, learning his yoke, learning scriptures with Jesus. It's loving God with our mind, flooding our imagination with the kingdom, uh, becoming like Jesus, imitating what Jesus does, how Jesus thinks and talks and loves and forgives and shares and works and, 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 and lives, you know, like Jesus. Um, Dallas Willard says this when he was asked to define what a disciple is. He said, a disciple is anyone whose ultimate goal is to live as Jesus would live if he were in their place. I just love that. How would Jesus live? I know that sounds like a cheesy bumper sticker, right? Or a cheesy bracelet. Remember those? The what would Jesus do bracelets? Um, but what would, how would Jesus live as he, if he was um, a teacher like me or a mom like me or a fine, in finance or a student? How would Jesus live? Um, how would Jesus carry on his work in the world if he were me? So 2,000 years, the invitation hasn't changed. It hasn't changed um, from, from what we read. Um, yeah, there's different ways we hear it. We hear things like invite Jesus into your heart or whatever, pray a prayer. But the invitation hasn't changed. The invitation is come follow me. Come be my apprentice. Come change and apprentice your whole way of life under me. And what's interesting is we'll see going forward in the book of Mark Mark is really a genius. He's a literary genius. He, he talks about the crowds, and he talks about disciples. And it's intentional. For Mark, he, he's always, it's a literary device. He's using crowds and disciples. The crowds were massive. They showed up semi-regularly to hear his teaching. They showed up for a free meal here and there. And they were just kind of around. They kind of listened in. But the disciples, and the disciples was more than the 12. It was women. It was men. It was people from all different walks of life. And it still wasn't a large group. But Mark makes a distinction between the crowds and disciples. So the question we really have to ask ourselves is, are we part of the crowd? Are we disciples? Remember a few weeks ago we said it's really, really easy to believe in Jesus and still not follow him. It's super easy to believe in Jesus, to read about Jesus, to think you know a lot about Jesus, but still not actually follow and apprentice Jesus. 
And so that's why we're taking a couple weeks to unpack this. Your story, your place, your life is unique to you. But God, through Jesus, still shows up in your life and gives you the invitation. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. And so whether you are like a person of like amazing pedigree or you're a dropout, there is this invitation. The kingdom is open and you are invited. And so that leads us to the table. It leads us to communion. Because what I think is really, really interesting about Jesus is he gathers the disciples then towards the end and they're around the table and they are celebrating the, the meal of their people. They're celebrating the Passover. And Jesus gathers, gathers them around the table and invites them into something bigger. And what he does is he takes the bread and he breaks it. And he, and he lets them all know that what they're used to thinking about the bread is totally different. He breaks the bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. And he says, whenever you take it, whenever you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. And then he takes the cup, the cup that's passed normally during the Passover. But it's an extra passing. And it's like a fourth pass. And he takes it and he passes it around and he says, this is symbolic of my blood that's being shed for you. And the meal has become not only one of just remembrance, but actually when we participate in it together as a community, what we're saying is, we are your disciples. We want to apprentice you. We want to do your work in the world because of what you've done for us. And so this morning, we are going to invite the band up, and we're going to take communion together. And what you'll find when you come is there's some gluten-free crackers in the middle. There's bread on the right and left. There's grape juice. There's wine. And you can take and dip. And, and, and you can eat it right away or return to your seat.